Amen. So, this is a fun time. I want to go ahead and start by apologizing, and that's probably not how you want a preacher to start a message, but that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start by apologizing because it is my first Sunday, and so a couple of things. If I do something wrong, give me a little grace, please. I don't know what I'm doing up here. If I do something right, you can applaud. I also want to apologize uh, if I seem really stiff up here. It's only 30% because I'm nervous and you're all staring at me. The other 70% is because I pulled a muscle in my neck and so I have to turn with my whole body. That's going to be a bit of a challenge for me this morning, so uh, bear, bear with me. Uh, like I said earlier, I'm trying to make you laugh because growing up I always wanted to be a comedian. And then I found out I wasn't funny. So I became a preacher instead because people have to laugh at you. Otherwise, they're just mean. So here I am as a preacher trying to make you laugh, trying to make us all feel comfortable, because aside from the awkwardness that I've already brought this morning, I'm still in more of an awkward position, you see, and we really both are, because I'm standing up here with the unique task of having to prove myself to be good enough. All the while, you might be asking yourself, why should we even be listening to this guy? Or maybe you've come in here with really high expectations and you've heard from somebody and said, I've heard, I've heard that this guy is just amazing. Now first, you probably shouldn't be hanging out with those people. They're liars. <laughs> I'm only kind of amazing. But I might just let you down. And so this is the awkward part that I, that, that I come here with, right? Because... I might just let you down. So here it is. I've studied for this moment, this very moment right here, for eight years now. To show my age a little bit, that's only about, this is almost a third of my life. Almost a third of my life I've been preparing for this right here. I've received the master's degree, got the robe, and if, if I trip and fall, it's because, you see, my wife got this robe for me whenever I graduated, and I think she got it in anticipation that I might grow a little bit more. It's very long on me. It is. But I got the robe, the master's degree. I've wrote hundreds of pages worth of essays and paperwork. I've been approved by countless committees, been commissioned by the bishop, and confirmed by our conference. Yet, I stand before you, as still an imperfect human being. Believe it or not, pastors can be imperfect. I know we, we preach in the United Methodist Church Christian perfection. I haven't gotten there yet. Maybe one day. I'm supposed to tell everybody I'm getting there. But I'm not there yet. In fact, there are many of you in this room who are wiser than I am. Many who are more competent than I am. Many who are far more like Christ than I am. So, that begs the question that I really ask myself, why am I here? I would say my one qualifying credential is that I am deeply, and even enthusiastically, concerned with love. I'm here because I believe that the church, not just Spring Hill Avenue United Methodist Church, but the church as a global institution, I believe that the church can be so much more for the world as an outreach of God's love if we simply take a good, hard look at the way we encounter others. I'm here this morning, and I stand before you because of love. Now, 
16 years ago, in June 2003, that was a very special year. I can't remember why. I don't remember that year very well. And that's a story for another time. But in June 2003, the prophets, and I do not use this word lightly, the prophets, Will I Am, Apple Diap, Taboo, and Fergie, began asking a simple question. And now if you, if you recognize those names, I'll, I'll be very proud of you. They are known more appropriately and more properly as the hip-hop group, the Black Eyed Peas. And in 2003, their simple question was just this. And it ended up echoing across the globe, hitting top charts everywhere. Asking, where is the love? That simple question. Where is the love? You see, the group addressed several global and domestic atrocities and asked of every person, where is the love? Where is the love? And you see... I bring this up because these words right here, 16 years old as they are, should be piercing towards Christians or people who who associate themselves with the Christian faith. Because what have we been told, you know, preaching to the choir now, what have we been told is the greatest commandment? Yes, love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus says, this is, these are the first and greatest commandments. On these rest the, all the law and the prophets. These are, these are, this is crucial. Love. It, it, it's our baseline as a, Christ, as a Christian denomination. It is the baseline for our faith. It is the reason why we exist. It is the reason why we gather here together this morning. It is the reason why we even carry on. But when the black-eyed peas ask, where is the love? That should be alarming to us, right? That should be alarming because Jesus spoke these words to his disciples. He said, everyone will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. That comes from John chapter 13. Everyone will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And now if people are asking, where is the love? Then perhaps we need to be asking ourselves the same question. So where is the love, church? Where is the love? And I think to get to the heart of that question, we need to start with a different question of why should we love? That question may seem frivolous. It may seem unnecessary because, you know, we all know why we should love, right? We all know why. At least we say that, and yet Christianity is the dominant religion in the United States. And you look out at the news of our country, and there's a lot of brokenness and hurt and anguish and hatred. And so I think we actually do need to talk about this question, why should we love? And first, I want to bring up these words found in 1 Corinthians 13. And you know the ones. They're the ones that come just before the whole love is patient, love is kind verse. If you were here for the, for the wedding on Thursday, you heard the second part of 1 Corinthians 13. This love is patient, love is kind, it does not boast, it is not envious, etc., etc. But just before that, Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth and he brings forward these words. He says, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith 
so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all of my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Whoa. Can you hear what's being written, what's being said between the lines? Paul is saying, is is basically giving us an outline of what the church or Christians often think defines them. Things like speaking in tongues, or prophecy, or understanding and wisdom. Things like faith, or giving, or even martyrdom. He says all of these things are nothing without love. They don't matter. They're empty. They're hollow. They, they, they're, they're really, uh, as the writer of Ecclesiastes says, they're, they're vanity without love. Vanity of vanities. They are nothing without love. So why should we love? Because without love, everything else about our religion, about our church, about our very identities doesn't matter. Love has to be the baseline. Reason number two can be found in our text from earlier in 1 John chapter 4. We're looking at verse 19. John writes, we love Because God first loved us. We love because God first loved us. It's that simple. It's that simple. Can I tell you something really quick? And I'm going to do something that may make some people uncomfortable, but here we go. Stepping out of the hole. Just love me. For my Laura, I have my goodness. You are so loved. Oh, wait, is it going to come out? I'm coming out here. Hi, Jordan. It's good to see you on my You are so loved. I'm sorry, Father. Hi, what's your name? Jordan, it's nice to meet you on my You are so loved. Miss Daisy? Hi, it's good to see you. My name's Michael. You are so loved. You are so I heard when you just met that. Yes, and you have not You are so loved. transcends everything else we understand. Each of you are so loved. Now, curiously enough, for some reason, we often hear that and we think, well, that's what the preacher is supposed to say, right? That's like what this whole Jesus-y thing is all about. This whole, this whole wishy-washy love. And we, we hear that and we think, cool, thanks. Appreciate that, Micah. And that's, that's okay. I'm, I'm not going to be offended by that. But this time, when you hear those words, whenever I tell you you are so loved, Deeply, 
relentlessly loved, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go show people where the love truly is. Because we love because God first loved us. Whenever I said earlier that I'm in an awkward position of trying to prove myself and you all are in the awkward position of trying to figure out if you like me or not, I say that knowing that there will be some times that we will disagree. Maybe even in this sermon, there might be an occasion we we might disagree. And that's okay. We can talk about it. I, I will allow myself to be called out and be wrong. I might be wrong. I also say that knowing that I make mistakes. It's true. I say that knowing I'm not perfect. I will openly confess that a hundred times over. I'm not perfect. But I take comfort in these words from a pastor in Missouri. His name is Brian Zond. And he says this. We all make errors in our theology, you and me both. So my recommendation is to err on the side of love. Why? Because... God is not doctrine. God is not denomination. God is not war. God is not law. God is not hate. God is not hell. God is love. He says these words with, with, with 1 John 4 in mind. As, as 1 John keeps, John keeps saying over and over again, God is love. And he says this. Because for some reason, we in the church often get stuck on these other things, these things which we think define us, like doctrine. The United Methodist Church is particularly finicky about their doctrine. They, they, they have it written down in this book, this book they call the Book of Discipline. It, it, it's not the hymnal. I don't know why I grabbed that. It's a book, though, called the Book of Discipline, and, and they hold fast to that if you ever come to conference or anything. He says, God is not doctrine. God is much larger than doctrine. He also says, God is not denomination. I know that most of you are here in the United Methodist Church because you've heard the United Methodist Church gets out before the Baptist Church and you want to get to lunch. I'm trying. I'm going to get you there. But he says, God is not denomination. That's fine. That's all well and good. You choose wherever you'd like to attend church. But he says, God is bigger than denomination. And we're not going to say that one denomination is more right than another or more wrong than another. God is not war. God is not law. We shouldn't be trying to wrap ourselves up and trying to talk about God as if God is wrapped up in the the laws of the United States or the state laws of Alabama or in the way in which we we conduct our, uh, our lawfulness. God is not hate, he says, and this is crucial because so often Christian groups in the church get caught up in this message of hate and saying these words like God hates so and so or whatever. He says God has never been defined as hatred. He also says God is not hell because historically the church has been funny about trying to say, you know, I don't know if any of you have driven up uh, I-65 past Birmingham. There's a sign up there that says go to church or the devil will get you. Um, It's a pretty famous sign on I-65. It's kind of odd. Um, But but what he's saying is this this tactic of uh, the scare tactic of using hell isn't what God is about. God is love. If we're going to talk about God to anybody, then we talk about God with love. We talk about God as compassion. And so what I'm going to do right now, I'm going to make a motion for our church. Can the pastor do that on his first Sunday? I'm going to make a motion for the church right now. One that might already be implied, but I want to be kind of explicit. The pastor knew the pulpit, so it's got to be important. I want to make 
make this motion for the church. Even if it's already implied, we're going to make this become who we are. Let our baseline become love. Let our baseline be love. Because there's nothing more important, you see. I would rather that we err on the side of love and be called out for loving people too hard than to be, ch- to be in church known for anything else. Some churches are known for their, for their VBS program. Some churches are known for their worship music or their worship band. Some, pe- some churches are known for their awesome daycare program and all this stuff. That's all well and good. We can be known for that too if, if, we, if we would like. But first and foremost, I want us to be known as a church of love. We should be a people of unconditional love because we are a people who are unconditionally loved. Yet many are still left asking, where is the love? Because honestly, and this might sound harsh, when people look out at the world, it can be easy to mistake it as being absent of Christianity. And that's just kind of the hard truth. You see, the Black Eyed Peas, this, these are some of the lyrics from their song, and I'm not going to rap them or, or sing them because nobody wants that from me. They sing, whatever happened to the values of humanity? Whatever happened to the fairness and equality? Instead of spreading love, we're spreading animosity. Lack of understanding leading us away from unity. And they go on, people killing, people dying. Children hurt and you hear them crying. But can you practice what you preach, or would you turn the other cheek? Father, 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 help us. Send some guidance from above. Because people got me, got me questioning, where is the love? And that was 16 years ago that they came out with these words. But things haven't really changed. Maybe a little bit, maybe in some ways, but things haven't really changed. The truth is, and I'm going to get really brutal here, don't kick me out. Racism, sexism, ageism, classism, ableism, xenophobia, and many other prejudices and hatreds, they are all very real tragedies befalling our brothers and sisters. It's it's true. If you haven't seen it firsthand, I'm I'm sure you've heard about it in the news. There are very real tragedies befalling our brothers and sisters, the ones who are dearly loved by God and the ones whom we are called to love equally. And our world is in pain. And our God cries out over and over again. I implore you, turn to any page in your Bible and read. Our God cries out, love one another, love one another, love one another. Unconditionally, self-sacrificially, relentlessly, wholeheartedly. So I want to challenge us today. I want to give this this challenge. Before we speak, before we act, before we gang up on someone or something, simply ask, where is the love in that? Where is the love of Christ in my words or in my actions? You see, as 1 John reminds us over and over again, God is love. And as Brian Zond encourages us, err on the side of love. You see, if our words and actions and communal efforts become beacons of love, then the world can be sure we are on the side of God. That's the truth of it. But we have to put forth the effort. You see, love is not stagnant. It doesn't just happen. Believe me, I've tried. 
I worked for three long years to get my wife. And I just sat there for two and a half of them. It doesn't work to just sit around. The same goes for the church. Just because we say we love people doesn't mean we make any difference. Can I say that? Just because we say we love people doesn't mean that we're making any difference. We have to be doers and not just pretenders. We are called to love all people with all we are, just as the God of all loved all of us with an all-consuming love. So where is the church? Where is the love, church? Where is the love? And I'll tell you, normally in sermons, you'll, you'll start to pick up on this. I like to ask a question to leave you with, and I won't answer it for you, because most of the time I don't know the answer. But today I know the answer to this one. Where is the love? Right here. The love is right here. It's in each and every one of you. Because you are so loved. We have received love. Now let us go and do something about it. Go and show the world where the love is. Go and be the love our world has been longing for. You have been loved. And it is a love that overflows again and again. There is plenty more to be poured out from us. See, history's greatest act of love began with a meal. Perhaps yours could too. It was a meal in which Christ welcomed even his own betrayer to the table and offered his disciples a sign of love that would echo throughout the ages. And today we have the opportunity to partake in that meal and recall, as 1 John notes, how God's love was revealed among us in this way, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So when the world asks, where is the love? May we recall the night in which true love was revealed. And may we live into that same love which welcomes all people. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love God their brothers and sisters also. Amen.